Welcome to Talking Sense, the podcast where we discuss all things detection dogs. Broadcasting from Sense City, Las Vegas, and the Silver State Canine Training Center, your host, Cameron Ford. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Canines Talking Sense. This is the second episode in the month of December for our Canine Health and Wellness Month. This episode is with Joanne Brenner of Canine Medic. Those of you have probably seen Joanne at the various seminars around the United States, whether it be typically hits is where I see her all the time, but she travels all over the place and she gives seminars uh, and educational classes on canine first aid everywhere. Luckily enough for me, she comes to Vegas probably about every few months. She's out here uh, doing classes for handlers and and veterinary staff and, and people like that. This episode's a lot of fun. Before that episode starts, I want to thank everybody for your feedback and a lot of questions about scheduling coming up in 2020. We are already super busy, uh, which is a good thing. I can't complain about that. With that said, please go visit SilverStateK9.com. We have our new interactive calendar. Go check out the calendar. Uh, look at the different events that we have going on at Silver State, both handler schools, trainer schools, seminars. Our first seminar on canine cognition is just a few weeks away, January 4th and 5th. Come to Las Vegas. I will show you hands-on how to do the cognitive test. So that way, if you're selecting a new dog, you know what these tests can tell you about that dog before you train it. Also, those of you that compete in nose work already have your dog. These tests are so crucial in giving you more information about the dog. You're going to be surprised. There are going to be things that you learned about this dog that you think to yourself, who is this dog that's been sleeping in my bed with me the past number of years or months and so forth? There's a lot of uh, information that sometimes is surprising you know, when you do these tests. So if you're interested in the Cognition Seminar, uh, January 4th and 5th, hop online, sign up, uh, or you can shoot me an email as well. So with that said, we are going to get on with the episode with Joanne Brenner. I hope everybody enjoys. Hello and welcome to this episode of Canines Talking Sense. This is our Health and Welfare Month in December. And on today's episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Joanne Brenner of Canine Medic. Joanne has been doing a lot of work in the canine emergency first aid care and wellness career for quite some time now. And Canine Medic is one of the sources. So Joanne, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. So for those who may not have run into you in one of the many canine, uh, sorry, canine conferences that you and I go to, um, tell us a little bit about you, about Canine Medic and your background. Sure. Um, so essentially, Canine Medic started, and I, I started with Canine Medic, or I started Canine Medic about 15 years ago. And uh, I had been working uh, on the human side of things. So I had been very involved in wilderness medicine in Canada. Uh, we took a lot of wilderness medicine, but surprisingly, 15 years ago, 
um, the Red Cross didn't have a wilderness first aid program, so I was part of that. And we did a lot of specialized problem solving in, in pre-hospital care. So whether it was wilderness, we also developed uh, first aid for confined spaces, uh, things like that. And around that time, I got my first working canine and started brand new into the field. Uh -huh. um, and uh, you know how that goes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and one of the things, of course, I wanted to do uh, was to be able to provide uh, my dog with the same type of care that um, I was teaching two-legged to take care of each other. And actually, at that time, I had gone on to teaching SWAT medicine. So I was actually teaching mostly SWAT medicine with the group uh, in Georgia, RTI. And so um, it became really imperative with the work I was doing. I was planning to go uh, downrange as a contractor. And so I was like, okay, I really need to be able to take care of my dog as well as we're teaching two-leggeds to take care of each other. And Google it. Um, and there was <laughs> one program, you know, Google is where at the beginning of most most uh, solutions uh, uh, where, where we start, and oh, yeah. it's also it's also the place right where we go. There isn't a solution, right? Where we go, wow, there there isn't a solution. There there was one of course, um, but it was more hospital based. Okay. And we know from SWAT medicine, we know from wilderness medicine, we know from you know specialty pre-hospital care and, and pre-hospital in general, that hospital medicine and field medicine are very different. Um, so decided that it was really important to go ahead and fill that gap. Um, and 15 years later, fast forward, it's a really good time to be a dog, a working yeah. dog especially. Um, things have changed so much. The industry has matured so much. Um, you know, 15 years ago, it was pretty, what we were doing was, was really unheard of uh, for the most part. And now, you know, it's, it's much more commonplace. Dogs are getting a much higher level of care. Um, across the board. And that really fits our mission with Canine Medic because our mission is that um, all working dogs and, and really actually we've expanded our, our mandate to, uh, we actually have some uh, professional pet programs as well and actually just a regular pet program as well, but really to uh, create this equivalent pre-hospital care uh, for our dogs so that they get the same level of care as their human counterparts. That's awesome. No, and I've watched it grow quite a bit. Like I said, going to the different seminars, hits, and and seeing you guys really expand the services. And of course, uh, you get to come out to Vegas every so often to the uh, amazing facility out here in Las Vegas. And what's the name of that one here in Vegas again? That is the Aquino Center by WVC, and you know they've just been they've been our sponsor for ten years. So I was I was the other day I was trying to count the number of classes and I'm, it's probably 40 or 50 classes that they've sponsored for us over wow. the years. So we are so fortunate to be out there uh, as often as we are. No, it, it, and it's, I feel fortunate because, you know, those times that you are out here, it's just, a, it's awesome to be able to reach out if I needed to, or if, you know, my, like we talked about the goal of uh, future Silver State canine classes, the ability to sometimes send people over to spend time with you to get that important information on canine first aid and care. So you, and we were talking just before we started recording, uh, you were really talking about something that's passionate for you and near and dear to your heart. And I thought that's a great topic to start with. So go ahead and kind of uh, tell me or tell the audience what you told me just a little bit ago. Sure. Well, certainly when people first talk about pre-hospital care or SWAT medicine or first aid, you know, we start talking about the big topics. And, um, you know, we'll talk about trauma, we'll talk about heat, we'll talk about toxins. Um, and where we like to start is the thing that ties those all together. Um, mm -hmm. 
And it's really not, it, it's a topic that often gets brushed over. Um, and that's what, in a regular handler first aid class especially, you know, you might have a little section on vitals and assessments and they'll be, here's how to do a pulse check. And you know, everybody learns it, but, but does it really have meaning to the handler and to the dog? You know, how, how many handlers have seen it in the textbook, but really how many handlers are using that um, in the field? And sure. the reason for that though, is I think the industry has, in many ways failed handlers because most handlers aren't really taught the significance or that skill has never been that converted from how it's used in a hospital to how it mm -hmm. can be really, uh, we call it phyto-friendly and field relevant to the handler. Okay. That's and that's because you got to make a difference, right? Uh, you know, I've got, I might have anything between 45 minutes to five days with a handler, and it's never enough. It's always still educational oh, yeah. triage, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and at least that's one thing that, that your handlers uh, understand because they understand the training process. You know, you'd never show up to a dog and try to uh, get a behavior in 45 minutes and then walk away for five years. Uh, yeah. But uh, we take the same way. Uh, but what we really want to be able to do is um, make it very field relevant and to convert that to something that's very useful in the field. Um, and so really what we call it is we call it dog eyes or dog speak. And what it's about is the biggest, the bigger overview of that is reading your dog. Now, that's a phrase that your handlers hear all the time and say all the time. Mm -hmm. And they're really good at, right? They're, sure. they're incredible at reading the dogs <laughs> or, or getting better, getting better. Yes. I was that yes. first handler too. So they're, they're either good or getting better. Um, and folks like you are, are teaching them how to do that. Now, usually when you're teaching them how to, how to read dogs, there's, there's a couple elements to that. There's, you know, the scent. Uh, and then there's the training aspect. And so the sure. handlers know right exactly what that little ear fleck meant or what that little surge meant or things like that. Mm -hmm. Well, our goal at the beginning of all of our first aid classes is to be able to have handlers read their dog's physiological physiology as yep. equally well as they can read their scent or their training behaviors. Perfect. Because that's going to be the basis of communication. We want them to up level. It's, it's really, we start that class uh, and, and really, you know, a, a, an invitation to, to everybody listening and, and we say a, an invitation and bribe if necessary. So we, we do, we do send out t-shirts for people who do homework and I, you know, I think we should ah. probably give some, give, give the audience some homework to do because we're all about making a difference, right? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll toss out some homework assignments and, and bribe you as well. Um, <laughs> but so the goal then is to really up level your relationship with your dog. So, for example, you know, can you name multiple, can most handlers name multiple ways to ask their dog if they're thirsty? Mm, maybe. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> you know? true. Uh, um, and, you know, just a basic thing that we would do human to human, you know, if you're working at a hot day, um, you know, you'll buddy check each other. You'll make sure that, especially in Vegas, but everywhere else as well. Oh, yeah. Heat injuries happen in every climate and every country. Um, but, you know, you would just know to buddy check your humans. But we want to be able to buddy check your canine partners as equally well. And we don't want it to just be how you do it. We want it to be very, very specific. So are you thirsty? Um, where are you on your heat exertion curve, on your baselines? We want, I know some handlers who can literally know their dog's baseline curve. They can speak dog so well that they can estimate their dog's temperature to within half a degree without a thermometer. And then they'll use a thermometer to back that up. 
And wow. so, yeah, like, so when we say we want you to read your dog, we want you to read your dog. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, because it gives you so much information. Now, the second thing is what do you do with that information? Like, uh -huh. so we want to make it um, feel relevant. So we want people to know where their dogs are on the exertion curve so that they can go, you know, I really know exactly what my dog's heart rate, respiratory rate, tongue length, tongue width, sometimes the shape of the tongue. What does their eyes look like? What's their tail look like? What's their uh, body posture? Um, you know, how squinty are their eyes? You know, things like that. What do they look like that, you know, 20 minutes into their work cycle or, or 50 minutes or into their work cycle? What does it look like mm -hmm. when they're at the peak of that exertion curve? How do I know when they're getting there so I can put the brakes on? Um, how do I really fine tune how I drive my dog in terms of their performance and how do I support them throughout that whole work cycle, especially, um, and then also through their everyday life as well. Um, when you have that much uh, attention on your dog and you can support them and you can say, hey buddy, I see you're thirsty um, because you said yes to those three questions when I asked you, uh, here's how I can support you. You protect your dog, you build relationship, you actually get longer work cycles, more higher performance, more accuracy, uh, better scent detection. Um, it's, yeah. it's not just about preventing emergencies, which is great. It's also about making them, uh, making you be a better partner to them all day, every day. Absolutely. And so you brought up a good point there. What are some of the ways to read your dog or to ask your dog, are you thirsty? What are some things that handlers should look for or pay attention to? Sure. So there's the general things that handlers are, are mostly aware of already. Um, and I explain this to EMS and they think it's odd. But for example, most of most handlers know what their dog's urine smells like. And when it's a little bit stronger than usual, they're like, oh, you're thirsty. And that one, you know, that one people kind of do just automatically. Uh, but we want you to be more uh, of an advocate than that. Um, usually when I ask handlers, how do you ask your dog if they're thirsty? They say, I offer water. Um, and certainly that's one behavioral option. But then I usually mm -hmm. ask them like, okay, so... Uh, usually in a class, we're all sitting there with water bottles, right? We we have yep. access to water all day, every day when we're in class, not always in the field, but, you know, certainly in class. Yeah. And how many of us are dehydrated in class? Mm -hmm. Yeah, most of us. Yeah, yes, <laughs> so exactly. Just the fact that we have a bowl of water or a cup of water or a bottle of water in front of us and are not drinking does not mean we're not thirsty, does not mean that we're Correct. not dehydrated. So, again, we want to go back to the physiology because um, – in a way, dogs lie, not intentionally, not in a bad way, but the sure. high drive dogs are going to say, I'm fine when they're not. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, big time. Exactly. So I want to ask their physiology, which doesn't lie. Um, so one of the things, two things that we'll do is one is the most common thing that handlers will be aware of. It's called skin turger. It's basically lifting a tent in the uh, scruffer or a little bit further along the back. Wherever there's a nice loose skin, it should snap back very quickly. And if the dog's dehydrated, it might go a little bit slower than that. Um, so that's one tool we can use. Um, another thing that we can use and, and, we have to be careful with that one. If you look in the veterinary textbooks, um, they'll say it's a, a moderate and early to moderate sign of dehydration. And that's relative to a sick dog in a hospital. Well, if you've got a sick dog taken to the hospital, but for our handlers all day, every day, we're actually looking at a, a high performance, you know, uh, partner that we want to keep in peak shape, um, not a sick yeah. dog. So for our handlers, we consider that um, a late sign of dehydration because I should be really ahead of that curve quite a bit. And so uh, another tool you can use 
um, that we like uh, because it's also a bit more real time is we're going to actually swipe the inside of their mouth, inside of their cheek specifically. Just take two fingers okay. and swipe it. And we really want to do this in a Fido friendly way because when your dogs are working, we want you actually to do this every 15 minutes. So wow, you got to okay. make it pretty, it, it should just feel like you're, you're, you're going up to your dog and say, Hey, how you doing? It should not feel like an assessment to them. It's just a quick, um, you know, you kind of just, uh, you know, come up and is this, if you're just petting their muzzle and Hey, how you doing? And it's just a quick swipe inside the mouth to see how wet that surface is because wet plus wind equals cooling. That's how dogs will cool themselves. Yep. And if it's not wet plus wind, it's dry plus wind. And that means a dog that can't cool yep. themselves. No, that's obviously a major, major, major flaw. So like you're bringing up one of, again, we had spoke earlier too, uh, one of the major issues is overheating for dogs. Mm -hmm. And obviously out here in Las Vegas where I'm at, especially pretty much from, let's say, May on through almost October, that is something we have to constantly pay attention to and constantly watch and monitor. So uh, in addition to the hydration, what are some signs or what are some things or what do you want to, or what's important for handlers? You want handlers to know when it comes to heat and dogs. Sure. So that kind of goes back to our first point of knowing your dog. And um, I'm guessing there's a way I can send you a PDF to link. Um, one of the things, Absolutely. yeah, one of the things we'd love to kind of share out is our baseline trending card. Um, and what that is, is all of the vitals go together to paint your dog's picture of really knowing about the heat because every dog is so different. I mean, I can certainly talk about general things. You know, we can talk about panting um, and we can talk about knowing um, regular panting from um, exertional, like uh, high exertion or up high along their exertion curve panting. Um, certainly, you know, mm -hmm. when it gets noisier and when the mouth gets wider and when the tongue gets longer and things like that. And I can talk about that generally. And those are really good things to, to watch for as an example. But I would even more rather that every handler know what their dog specifically looks like. Um, and so if you yeah. fill these cards out, what we have people do is we have them do it at rest. Um, and then we have them go through a work or play or whatever your dog gets the most exertion from, um, and then have them okay. do it, um, you know, just before they start that curve. And then we have them do it about 10 minutes in 15 minutes in, we find that peak exertion curve. And this is where your dog is as high exertion, as you feel comfortable and you don't want them to go any further. And we want you to have a mm -hmm. really strong visual of what do my, what's my dog's heart rate at that? What's my dog's, you know, is my dog's heart rate, you know, 90 or 120 is my dog's, mm -hmm. um, you know, the mucous membrane colors. So for example, if you're in the gym, I've started CrossFit again. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> sometimes, so you know the yeah, pain. So, you know, sometimes if I'm doing a hard sprint, we're doing a couple Cindy's back to back. Um, you know, my face will go red, right? And if yeah, you're if you're yeah. working out with a buddy, you expect that. That's normal. But if you were working out with your buddy, and then you know you go to the bar, and half an hour later their face is still red, is that normal? No. So mm -hmm. I'm looking no, for my dogs, but I can't see my dogs. You know, my dog doesn't have, you know, bright Face. red cheeks. So I'm looking at their mucous membranes because that tells me a lot of information. And just how, you know, handlers, even if they don't have medical training, they, they know what's normal when they look at their buddy's face, you know, white, straight plate, you know, you know, flat white, ice white or 
uh, pale blue or gray or bright red, you know, for long periods of time, those would all be signs of warning. And you want to be looking at your dog's mouth in the case of heat. Um, what's going to happen is that's going to get um, brighter red and then brick red. That yeah. cap refill. So that's another thing we can do is we can push against that color and let go of it. And we'll see how fast the body is requiring oxygen. Um, and so when they get really hot, it's going to be instant. That's expected. But it should you know, even out once they um, stop their work. Um, and so we'll know um, if they're recovering properly or not, because if they, this baseline card will teach us, you know, my dog usually recovers after 10 minutes on a normal day or 15 minutes or, you know, sometimes 20 minutes. But, you know, today it's 45 minutes. Something's different today with my dog. Yeah. So I need to do something as a handler different to support my dog. Um, I either need to initiate cooling at, uh, or I need to, um, you know, speed up the cooling and I'll possibly start evacuating to a veterinarian. Sure. And what are some of the, I would say, most convenient or easiest ways to cool? You know, obviously people yeah. sometimes won't have, uh, let's say, an ice pack with them or things like sure. that. And then as, as you go over that, talk about, because this was something that was uh, discussed quite a bit from the worlds I've been in, both law enforcement and military, is where to begin cooling from and where to avoid? Because I've heard different things yeah. myself. Don't cool the head and <laughs> all that kind of stuff right away. So I'll use this as an opportunity for you to talk about that and, and give some good sure. information. Um, and, you know, I got to say, this is something that has evolved. We've been doing this for, you know, over a decade. And, you know, uh, one of the reasons we collect student contact information is so when we learn, we can pass that learning on. And 10 years ago, what we used to teach about heat, because that's what the literature said, um, is quite different yep. than what we teach now. So we often talk about some myths of cooling. Um, and the myths, you know, pe- people people still believe the myth because that's what they were taught. And in fact, some of these things sure. are things that we taught. So, for example, I can start with rubbing alcohol. We used to teach that okay. rubbing alcohol on the paws was... Um, uh, an effective uh, way, a safe and effective way to cool dogs. Um, and it's mm-hmm. it's really not. The theory is good <laughs> because it's evaporation. Yeah. And earlier yeah. I said wet plus wind equals cooling. That's an important key phrase because from a handler's perspective, that's going to be the majority of our cooling techniques that we use. Most of us don't okay. have a uh, an ice bath in our truck. Um, now, you nope. can make one. <laughs> and on the human side, we're really actually... Um, improving how we deal with heat injuries on humans as well. So some folks will actually go ahead, like some tech med teams will, will go ahead and they'll take a body bag and they'll take the, the local, you know, big cooler that you've got, you know, your water, your Gatorade on it, and they'll make a, they'll make a ice base, basically an ice bath in the a- uh, ambulance as they, as they um, evacuate. So you can be creative, but you know, if you've got a body bag or, you know, something that's big enough to get a little bit of circulation and some ice on there, you could do that. Um, okay. So that's, it's not mm-hmm. bad, and we'll we'll talk about the myth that the audience might be concerned about in a second why that might be bad. Uh, but uh, okay. most people are going to go to wet plus wind. The good thing about wind yep. is that it's part of our transportation, and we are sure. going to take up to you know maybe five minutes to cool on site only if we have more resources, and we usually have more resources on site. Um, but then our goal is to get to that advanced veterinary care. Um, you know, if we're, if we're doing a full evacuation, if we're really worried that, that our dog's gotten over um, the peak of that exertion curve. Um, and so then we're wetting the fur down um, and uh, getting air movement over that fur. And it's really important to get that water all the way down to the skin 
fur is designed to repel water. Okay. It works very well. Um, and so you want to go mm -hmm. ahead and pull that fur back, like pull the, you know, rub your hand against the direction of fur um, in order to get, so yep. if you can visualize the skin, the water can get to the skin as well. Even if you're using a dump yep. tank, okay. I would still get my hands in there just to get that uh, fur moving and lifted up so that the uh, water can circulate right to the skin. And that's all the different areas Absolutely. that I'm using a uh, wet plus wind. We treat heat codes like a like a like a CPR emergency the same way, um, or a stroke emergency on the human side. We'll say time is brain. Heat is the same way with your dogs. Time is brain. I want to I want to save their life. I want to save their brain. I want to get them back into the field, whatever their job is. And so it has to be fast um, and definitive. We really mm -hmm. want to cool that dog as fast as possible with whatever resources. So um, when I call a code and I've got multiple people, because at most trainings and even a lot of field deployments, there's there may be multiple people. If not, then we'll do what we need to. Uh, but I can say, hey, you, you, and you, go find me as much water as you can. Bring half of it here, take half of it to my truck. I can pre-stage a lot of water in my truck. I can say, you know, I know there's a, a cooler, go grab the cooler, the ice cooler, and, and bring it to either me or the truck, depending on my logistics. I can use the resources I have available um, to the to, to speed that process as, as much as possible. Sure. Now, what about the the main thing about dog's head? Do you know if they? Oh yeah. Got the dog's. So yeah. head. Yeah. So uh, two things we want to concern about the head. So the head, we might be worried about the mouth, or we might be worried about the back and neck. Those are the two areas that come up. We are cautious of anything in the mouth. So yeah. like, I wouldn't take cold. I wouldn't take any water and like spray it in the mouth of a dog that might be losing consciousness. Sure. Uh, because that's just dangerous from an airway. And uh, we say that heat injuries is your dog's brain on a frying pan. Yeah. Um, and that, that relates to both things here. It means that their brain not might not function enough to swallow safely. They might be losing that ability. So I am going to stay away from the mouth as soon as I think that there's any altered level of consciousness. Um, however, since my, heat is my dog's brain on a frying pan, I would like to cool yeah. that frying pan. Yep. And so putting an ice pack on the back of the head the back of the neck, excuse me, uh, just at the base, the, the top of the neck, the base of the, the skull there, um, is actually a great place to put an ice pack. Okay. Um, because it's actually cooling the brain. It's going to actually keep the thermostat uh, of the dog in place. So whatever resources the dog has left um, is also helping to cool. It's just protecting the brain in general, which is uh, one of our primary goals with heat injuries. So we'll put it on five heat packs, uh, excuse me, ice packs on five locations. Um, and the head is one of them. And we encourage people to, um, if you're going to carry ice packs, just the little small break ones um, in the truck, usually not right in the field with you, yep. uh, but to carry five of them because... It's like one of those mismatched things like hot dogs and hot dog buns. There's never the right yep. number to teach you to use five. Sure. And the kids have two. And you have to rotate them around. I'm like, carry five. Oh, yeah. No, and there's always the main rule we go by in anything in an operational sense is two is one, one is, is one. none. <laughs> so Absolutely. always have yeah. extra no matter what it yeah. is. It'll, it'll come in handy. Absolutely. And just to back up a second, because yeah. I'm, I'm sure that there'll be some uh, some audience listening going, whoa, 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 wait. If I put my dog with ice packs and if I use, uh, you know, even if I can make a body bag uh, ice chest thing, um, you know, maybe I'm cooling my dog too fast. Uh-huh. Um, many people have heard that uh, it's dangerous that you could put your dog into shock by cooling them too fast. Yes, that's what and the common thing I've heard. Yeah, and this is something that... Um, did like it was in the human literature as well um 
And that is true for a very small set of patients. And those patients are ones that are geriatric, not just old, but they would be retired um, and or have a heart condition, like they have a cardiologist. Um, so for any of, and so I might be a little more cautious. I, I have a 15 year old retired dog right here. Mm -hmm. I might be a little bit slower in cooling her. Sure. I might not dump her directly into uh, the perfect ice bath if I happen <laughs> to have one. Uh, but for any of your dogs, if they're still active, you know, if they're working, certainly if they're still active in their sport, um, then those dogs have a, a reasonable health. Um, and uh, the thing that is killing them right now is their heat injury. Okay. Um, and so yep. we're going to cool that dog as fast as possible because you can't cool a dog too fast. Okay. Good to know. you can cool a dog too far. Okay. Yeah. Bring the temperature down too, too much. Yeah. Temperature has momentum. Mm -hmm. So what that means is when you start cooling a dog, even after you remove those ice packs and dry that dog and get the air conditioning off them, things like that, um, their body temperature is going to keep dropping. And a dog that gets hypothermic, a dog that gets too cold after they've been too hot is less likely to survive. So we want to stop cooling above normal temperature. We want to stop cooling at 103.5. Um, and let them drift into that normal. This episode is brought to you by the Sensible Canine, making sense of scent work. The Sensible Canine is owned and operated by Pete Stevens. Pete Stevens has a vast experience in detection dogs, and myself and Elliot Zibley were the first three uh, three bald guys everybody remembers us as working together. Uh, putting out various seminars under Sensible Canine, and it has since grown to what it is today and keeps Pete pretty busy. Sensible Canine is uh, a education and workshop-based uh, business. Pete goes to your area, or you come out to Southern California and go through various types of seminars where we focus on the skill sets needed um, most times geared towards nose work, but these days it's expanding to all types of scent work, uh, professional and sport. So look up uh, The Sensible Canine. The website is exactly that, thesensiblecanine.com. I will put a link in the show notes. Contact them, set up a seminar, or come to one of the seminars that we host uh, many times in the Southern California area, but soon we will have our first sensible canine in Las Vegas at the Silver State Canine Facility. So again, look up the sensiblecanine.com and it's k the number nine.com for the end of that. But again, I'll have the show notes. We'll have the web link there for you. 2019 has been a wonderful year here at Silver State Canine. And we are so thankful for all of you who have come to either our handler courses, our trainer courses, or our seminars. 2020 is already starting off to be a busy year for us. And we created a new calendar that will be on our website and on our social media feeds. If you are looking for a handler class or you're looking for a trainer's class, contact us. Our classes are focused on proven scientific and psychological training methodology that helps you train and communicate to your dog in a much more efficient and effective way. 
We also offer seminars in a variety of topics. And now we have added even bite work and protection work to the courses and classes that we have here at Silver State Canine. Also, if you're looking for a trained detection dog, contact us. We customize each dog that we train for any of our clients based on your needs. And in this process, we work with you step by step from selecting the dog to the training of the dog to then the hammer school that you'll go through when you pick the dog up. So again, if you're looking for any of our Silver State Canine services to include our mobile classroom where we come to you, contact us. Info, I-N-F-O at SilverStateK9.com or just go visit our website. We've redesigned it, updated it, www.SilverStateK9.com. That's SilverStateK, the number nine, dot com. Are you looking for a canine record keeping software program? Look no further than Cats Canine. I use Cats Canine myself. I can tell you the Cats Canine Activity Tracking System is a dynamic record keeping program designed specifically for canine operations, training, deployments, and as well as keeping track of expenses of dogs, their veterinary care, x rays. I'm telling you, the amount of information that you can put into this program is amazing. And the information it gives back to you helps either justify why you're doing things a certain way, gives you specific numbers on deployments, the specific numbers in training. How often are you running a certain training aid? How often are you doing tracks? How long are the tracks? If it comes to apprehension, How much apprehension? Is it scenario-based? Is it working on certain issues? I'm telling you guys, this program is a huge help. I, like I said, use it here in Las Vegas. Um, One of the amazing things that I really like about it is how I can, let's say for me in my area, as the instructor or trainer for that day, I set up and document that training. Those others that are in my area that are also on CATS I can quickly share to them what that training was that day. So they don't have to come over to me and go, hey, Cameron, what aid was that that we put out? And what was the size of it? And what was the set time? They don't have to do any of that. All they have to do is already be on the CATS program. And when I'm done setting up the training and I put out the uh, information into CATS on my end, all I do is share. I just go down, click, click, click to all those that were there that day. And it shares right to them uh, all the training that we conducted to include my notes that I made on observation as a trainer and instructor for that canine team. So they can still put in their information, uh, what they saw their dogs do, but mine as the instructor and trainer is also there. So I'm telling you, hands-on experience, uh, I really enjoy using this program. So this has been around a long time. He's been helping uh, Bob Eaton is the creator of, of CATS. And he has developed this since 1992. It was the first software ever developed for law enforcement canine operations and continues to be an industry leader. So go to catsplatinum.com. That is K-A-T-S-P-L-A-T-I-N-U-M.com. Catsplatinum.com. Go check it out. Mark your calendars for February 28th through March 1st. So that's February 28th, 29th, and March 1st. 
come out to Las Vegas, come to the Sniff and Bite seminar with myself and Carlos Ramirez. We held our first Sniff and Bite seminar in Ocala, Florida back in November, and it was a great success, and we decided to bring the show to Las Vegas. Carlos will be coming out. We break the three days up into a day and a half of detection and a day and a half of bite work and decoy skills. So if you're looking to enhance your skills as a decoy, come to the seminar. If you're looking to enhance your skills in detection work or to work with your dogs and understand certain scientific or cognitive approaches to detection work, come to the seminar. If you want to do some problem solving with bite work and have somebody experienced as a decoy as Carlos is, come to the seminar. To sign up, just contact me, email me at Cameron at FordK9.com, C-A-M-E-R-O-N at Ford, F-O-R-D-K, the number nine.com, Cameron at FordK9.com. Email me with Sniff and Bite and that you want to sign up for the one in February in Las Vegas. Those dates, one more time, February 28th, 29th, and March 1st here in Las Vegas. Hope to hear from you guys. It'll be a great event. That you said heat is a major important one that we deal with. And then detection dogs come across all kinds of things in any number of areas that they search or or, are in. Um, Sure. So what are some of the common uh, medical issues or uh, first aid things that the Dog, a detection dog may come across. You know, and I had my notes. Uh, choking is one of them, and I went through that myself personally with one of the dogs I was training, choking on a ball. And um, I even made a post of that a few months ago. You know, uh, to kind of share information with people about a good way or a better way than we know, or for some who may not have even thought of, hey, how do I dislodge something from my dog's throat? So I'll, I'll let you kind of expand upon that because there is a unique uh, uh, kind of technique that you guys uh, help teach. Sure. Uh, so first, I really want to underscore that, you know, how often this happens and, you know, you it happened to you just when we were talking about it. So and you're you're not alone in that experience, for sure. Uh, when we travel the country and internationally, um, we talk to we, we hear a lot of sad stories um, about uh, dogs that die um, tragically because of either their actual ball reward um, mm-hmm. and, and it was actually part of, you know, uh, they, you know, they got into it because it was a reward. But even, even if you're not using a ball as reward, um, you know, we live in environments where, um, you know, if you're in a schoolyard, there's balls there. If you have oh, kids yeah. or other dogs, there's balls or there's, there's things that are like that, you know, we use them for lacrosse balls for uh, at the gym and things like that. You know, they're uh-huh. in people's gym bags. So, so um, certainly it's something that dogs have a lot of exposure to. Our first goal is always prevention. And we have um, uh, the, we call it the play it safe campaign. It's the four sides of safety. So we really want you to consider your rewards and also things that just you play with your dog or that your dog has access to. We want them to really consider the shape. Um, so if you're going to use a ball, we say put a rope on it. Um, yep. so you can get any kind of ball. There's a version of it, a rope. You know, if you like to do, um, uh, you know, a tennis ball and there's other reasons that that might not be a great choice for the teeth, but, um, you know, you can get yeah. them, uh, with a handle on it. If you like the, uh, Kong, they've got the, the big red rope. 
um, the um, uh, uh, lots of the ones with the, the launcher now you can get the um, uh, they actually have one that actually has a lot of holes in it that allows air mm -hmm. to go through it um, or to have a handle on that as well so lots of different options you can change the shape you can change the size because uh, if it's you know larger, it's not going to become a choking hazard. Uh, mm -hmm. We really want you to consider supervision. So uh, most things cannot be used as babysitters for the dog sure, <laughs> while exactly. you're away. Yep. So even things like Kongs, you know, yes, they've got two yep. air, but you know, you put peanut butter on one end and it gets caught, it gets stuck, and now it's got one hole, now it's a suction injury, and that can be a problem because their tongue uh -huh. and lip can get stuck and get an airway hazard from swelling up, things like that. So supervision is really important. And our last S on that is safety check. Um, so whatever thing that your dog has access to, you also got to be checking it, um, you know, because even the, the black Kongs, you know, we know dogs who mm -hmm. will chew through those in four hours. Uh, oh, I have one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's the black ones are last slightly longer than the red ones, right? <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Yeah, he it, it, it slows him down just a little bit, but he yeah. still manages to get through those. Yeah, so we're just checking those all the time. Now, if prevention failed and we're now down to an emergency, um, there's a couple techniques. Most people are familiar with the Heimlich maneuver, and that's the one that people are most um, uh, know from a human perspective and try to use on a dog. Um, and it can work in some situations. The first thing we want to do is if you're doing a Heimlich maneuver, on a human, we always teach you to brace the back so you have and move your head away. Um, but you know, on a human, if, when you go ahead and put your arms around them, you're their, your chest is right up to their back. There's no gap there because that force, when you're doing that J-stroke, has to be very strong. And if there's a gap there, um, you know, it's just there, there's no force involved. You're not getting any leverage there. So similar with your dog, you really have to go and get your chest right up against their back. Um, some pictures and some techniques kind of show you standing behind the dog and then just lifting mm -hmm. up with your fist. That's not going to work. You're, you're, you're just... You can, yeah. you know, like try it on, a stuffy, it yeah, on a, yeah. on a stuffy dog. You'll just see them. They'll just pop up and nothing, the, the food won't pop up. The dog will just yep. like, yeah. So that wouldn't actually give you enough force. Now let's assume that you get into a good position and that, uh, that you could physically. The problem with that, the biggest problem with that technique is that, um, a dog, as you saw, I'm sure. How, what, what, what did that dog look like when, when the dog, can you describe uh, to the audience, yeah. what the dog look like? No, I, that's great. I'll be glad to share what happened. So I had multiple dogs out playing, <laughs> and there was multiple uh, various like chucket balls that were out <laughs> along with a Kong and other things, and they were all having fun playing around. <laughs> and I it was, this, was a, this was a German short-haired pointer. So <laughs> I noticed with he had tried to get two chucket balls in his mouth, and <laughs> he basically accomplished that task. And then I noticed he didn't have any of them in his mouth, and I saw one dog run off with one of them in his mouth, and he wasn't following that dog like he did before when they were all chasing each other. Mm -hmm. He kind of kept walking around in like a half circle, and his head was down facing the ground. Mm -hmm. So I kind of walked over to him, looked at him, looked in his mouth you know, from the side and didn't see anything. But he kept acting different with, again, face towards the ground, walking around in like a circle. So then I decided to grab him by the collar, kind of look at him again, and he wasn't engaging me at all. So mm -hmm. I grabbed the muzzle, opened his mouth up a little bit, and I at first did not see anything. Mm -hmm. So I let go, 
nothing changed. He was doing the same kind of behaviors, like like somebody who's who can't breathe. Obviously, he was trying to get air. He couldn't. Um, so again, I'm like, this is not normal. Check the muzzle again. This time, I kind of turned his head a different direction, you know, almost straight up and down. Mm-hmm. And at that point I could see the orange of the chuck it ball deep in his throat. Right. So I am doing and I know you're going to hit this in a second, <laughs> the finger sweep. Yeah. So I'm sweeping my fingers in there to get this ball out of there. And of course the chuck it ball is soft. Mm-hmm. So as my fingers hit the chuck it ball, it would kind of collapse a little bit. And of course it made it a little bit harder to grasp. Now he's biting down with his molars on my finger. Mm -hmm. So I'm attempting this over and over again and I'm not having any luck. My next idea was to grab um, some type of, I wanted to get a PVC tube is what I wanted and get that in his mouth. So then I can reach behind that and Mm -hmm. then he couldn't clamp down on my fingers anymore. Uh So I pick him up, carry him over to our office real quick, call for the other guy I work with John to help and he luckily he had a tube, but right as he had as he was getting the tube for me, um, I just kept at the same time I never stopped mm-hmm. uh, finger sweeping. And even though he was biting my hand, and you know it was not easy thing to do, I kept trying because I could I could feel the ball each time my fingers went into it, kind of collapsing, and I was pulling it up, pulling it up, and I finally just got deep enough behind that ball. Mm-hmm. And because the ball was softer, I got it to kind of squish out of the back of the throat and then he's back to normal. So the whole thing took about probably a little over a minute, mm-hmm. maybe not. Yeah, probably right around a minute. Yep. Um, but man, it it's, you know, it's like anybody will tell you, I know you've heard it a hundred times. It's a helpless feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to help the dog out. He was conscious, so he never lost consciousness. So that was a great thing for me there. Mm -hmm. Um, But as it turns out, the technique that you will talk about being unconscious actually works even better. Yeah. (laughs) But, but in this case, he was, he was still conscious and I was able to dislodge the ball and he was able to get back to breathing pretty quick. Yeah. I just want to highlight a couple of things you did very naturally, but just so that the whole audience, you know, reiterates that is one is that recognition. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. an obvious, you know, like on humans, you know, there, there was nobody with, you know, he didn't have his paws, on, you know, around his throat in the I'm choking Correct. position. You noticed nope. <laughs> something's wrong, you know, like, yep. so first off, you read the situation and then you kept working the situation. You're like, okay, well, I didn't see yep. something. You didn't just walk away. So again, when something's yep. wrong, we, we always, you know, we, we tell handlers, trust the dog. We tell medics, yep. trust the handler. When the handler has mm-hmm. spidey senses, even if they can't articulate what it is or they don't know what it is yet, we always say take action and keep taking action until you know it's solved. Um, so oh, yeah. yeah, so if something was wrong, obviously, um, and then you got help. So we always want to make sure yeah. that everybody really recognizes that um, you know emergency response is a team sport whenever possible. Uh, and you save the dog, so woohoo! <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it, it it was like I said, you know, uh, even though I was in pain and, you know, he has he's chopping on my yeah. fingers and I know this just and the good thing was this was like I said again, a German short-haired pointer mm-hmm. versus my Malinois yeah. which has a devastating level of bite force behind him at times. And I, and like you mentioned to me, you're lucky it was that dog in a sense because you've seen yeah. people lose fingers. Yeah because of attempting that. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm super glad it worked out. Um, I'll share a couple stories perhaps where it doesn't work and then give you a tool 
people that can use to, to problem solve, you know, it's always good to have multiple tools in your kit. Um, like you said, depending on the dog and depending on the situation, we have had handlers who, um, uh, lost their finger and still lost their dog. I'm sure this handler, uh, you know, you know, was happy to give his finger, but it still didn't work. Um, and the dog unfortunately passed away. It was, um, uh, canine Jojo, uh, from San Bernardino, um, several years ago. Um, but that's also not an isolated case. So canine scout, uh, we know as a, as, um, one that was announced, uh, we know of other cases that weren't in, in the public domain as well, um, where um, people have lost their finger um, trying or had it injured significantly, um, but full amputations uh, where the dog bites oh, down. Wow. Um, and in those cases, it still wasn't, uh, you were able happily uh, because of the size and just how you were able, it sounds like you were able to get behind that ball and push it out. Um, in many cases, um, the ball and, and it, and that all happened within a minute, you said too, which is also really yeah. significant because, um, time, uh, is your enemy in a couple ways here. One, certainly not getting oxygen to the brain is a bad thing. Uh, your job mm-hmm. also gets harder over time because as the ball's in there, um, and you know, he's trying to get it out and you're trying to get it out. Um, that tissue starts to swell and gets locked in oh, even yeah. further. So, you know, it, it, two minutes in is harder than at one minute from that perspective. Um, the other thing that was really important is just not just the bite of the dog is a threat, but a lot of dogs, um, yeah, well, uh, and I, what was his facial expression? Did he look scared? Well, he, yeah, he had a, the gla- the glossed over gotcha. look. He, like I said, his mouth was kind of half mm-hmm. open, and he just had, like I said, like a blank gotcha. stare. Um, a lot of dogs, and and that's what we say. So the Heimlich maneuver, or or things where you can get in the mouth, we say that the ones that work best are the ones that go into almost a freeze state. Um, so when a dog's yeah. afraid or humans afraid, you know, we'll go into fight or flight or freeze. And so when they sure. go into the kind of that freeze or, or basically not the fight or flight, those are the dogs that while they're conscious, we have the most success with, with Heimlich or with other things. Um, oh, and actually the other thing I want to highlight was that you tried to get a bite block. You know, so that's significant too. Yeah. Um, anytime, you know, I definitely have to, you know, big highlight this, you know, anytime you could, cause I, I'll be in trouble otherwise <laughs> when you, people get fit <laughs> and don't help their dogs. But um, anytime you can use a bite block, we use two leashes. Um, and that's even with a, a dog that's oh, okay. semi-conscious, because uh, even with a dog that's fully conscious, a lot of these techniques are not going to work. But with a dog that's semi-conscious or unconscious, yeah. we'll also use two leashes um, behind their canine teeth um, to, to use that to, to keep the mouth open as well. Um, but um, So you were able to, to get, in, um, get in behind there. Um, but when a dog is in fight or flight, it's not just their mouth. Mm. They're thrashing. <laughs> they are clawing. Absolutely. They are a Tasmanian devil with teeth. Um, yes, they so are. So just trying to get into that position is often, or get near their mouth in general, is often impossible. So for those cases, mm-hmm. that's where we go to what we call XXT. It's the external extraction technique. Um, and what it does, and generally it's only going to be possible on a dog that's unconscious, but it's basically another way to do what you did. You use the words get behind the ball. Um, but what we yep. can do is we can actually get behind the ball from the outside of their mouth instead of the inside uh, of their yep. mouth. And that's why we call mm-hmm. it the XXT, the external extraction technique. Dr. Crow introduced it to us 
uh, over 10 years ago, I think it was. And we've been uh, fine tuning uh, how it works uh, in the labs and how we teach it. Um, we have heard successes of it working both in the veterinary hospitals and in the field. Um, but basically what it is, and uh, we'll send you a, a link so that people can see the video of this um, and get a little handout yeah, sheet definitely. of it. But basically the dogs um, on their back and you're um, on most of our working size dogs, um, we're actually uh, kneeling over them. Uh, uh, basically they're on their back and we're uh, in between their legs. Um, and the head is in the inline yeah. position, which means it's not um, turned left or right, or it's not kind of cranked uh, forward. Um, it's just the nose, uh, the ears and the spine are all lying in a nice straight line. Um, because obviously if there's a crook mm -hmm. there, I, I can't get a ball around the bend. I need a nice straight channel. And yep. then I perform an open uh, diamond with my uh, four fingers and my thumbs. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna feel for that ball. I'm gonna put my thumbs on either side of the trachea behind the ball, just like you were saying. And I can go from the outside and just, it's a lot of force. Um, I, we kind of like yep. it to CPR force where you've got locked out elbows, um, and you're going to push down and out, um, and get that ball out of their mouth. Um, and it's a really important skill. Yeah, no, the, the best way I could describe it is let's just say there was a ball inside a mm -hmm. hose and how would you, you know, push that ball mm -hmm. out of the hose? Well, from behind the ball, you're to keep squeezing mm -hmm. and squeezing and squeezing until the ball comes out of the hole. Not, not squeezing yeah. in this case, but in this case, you're pushing down, like you said, with your thumbs, forcing it forward towards the jaw. And that will help dislodge that ball from behind, you know, in the dog's throat, laying on its back, pushing it out while the dog's yeah. upside down. And upside down on the floor. And yeah. On the floor. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And uh, like you said, we will definitely put. Uh, photos in the information yeah, it's hard to describe to a little bit without the, the links visual. of the show notes. And just, yeah, no, just it one is. note, this technique is uh, for about the size of like a tennis ball or that kind of thing because Correct. it won't work yeah. on a marble or something that would go inside the trachea because you're not actually squeezing yep. uh, the trachea. You're, the ball is sitting on top of that. The trachea doesn't like break. It's a pretty solid tube in there. So the ball yep. gets stuck right on top of that tube and then we get behind it um, and, and push it out that open mouth. And it's not something that would work with a stick nope. or something else yeah. that gets stuck in the dog's throat. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, I was, I was very thankful that in this sense, it was a chuck it ball mm -hmm. that was soft because had it been a, one of those harder mm -hmm. rubber balls, uh, there's no way I would have got my finger yeah. behind the ball and got it because the, the ball would mm -hmm. collapse as I would push my finger deep mm -hmm. in the dog's throat, like, you know, collapse to the finger side. And then I could get around behind it. And I just kept doing that and doing that and eventually dislodged yeah. it that way. But yeah, I would have guaranteed, I would have had to do the technique that you mm -hmm. brought up uh, had it been one of the other balls that we have. And what I do now is there are no balls that I let <laughs> the dogs I have play with that are any yeah. smaller than yeah. my fist. If it's smaller than my fist and I've got yeah. butcher hands, so mine are big. So if it's if it's smaller mm -hmm. than that, it is they're yeah. not getting to play with it because the risk is exists. And everything else I use in detection has a mm -hmm. rope attached to it. So I'm always using those techniques or those things because one safety wise and two, for me, when using a toy, I don't want to be just a delivery mm -hmm. device. I want to have engagement right. with my dog. So by having 
something that my dog can play tug of war with me. Uh, in this case, to string on the ball or string on a Kong or what have you. It allows for more interaction, more play, more fun. So that's just the other okay. side benefit, let alone the safety and first aid aspect. But it creates the ability to be able to engage mm-hmm. with your dog, see how you're, you know, build up more playfulness and, and make it, yeah, make rewarding an event, not just, exactly. oh, here's your ball. So, so, well, good. No, that was definitely the good one for, for the choking aspect. Uh, the other one, I would say, and you could probably cover this however you want, but these two kind of tie together, which is ingestion of either poison or a chemical slash ingestion of training sure. aid. <laughs> and I know there's various things that you can't treat them all the same. Sure. So I'll kind of let you kind of cherry pick which ones of poison <laughs> training aid. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and let you kind of sure. go with it from there. Um, so first off, in terms of uh, um, training aids or, or in actual field deployments, um, certainly in terms of the explosive side of things, uh, we find that the biggest risks are actual storage concerns. So, you know, this is just making mm-hmm. sure, you know, just the rules that you follow all day, every day um, are also the ingestion mm-hmm. uh, concern. And so most of the injuries or most of the exposures we see um, are, you know, it got left out. The, the lid wasn't put on the can, the, it was left in the truck or, 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 or it got left out on another uh, search or something like that in the building. So um, those ones we mm-hmm. can prevent, we can control that. Um, on the yep. um, narcotic side, certainly there's a big question about Narcan these days um, and exposures. Yep. So I can kind of give you the highlights of that if you like. Um, and essentially Perfect. is, um, are dogs affected by opioids? Yes, for sure. Um, are they affected to the same degree as humans? Uh, no, actually they're not. So a lot of times we think that the risk might be higher for a dog because, well, heck, they're right at the ground level. Their nose is right there. They're the first in, things like that. Uh, fortunately, from the dog perspective, we actually do see them as a slightly um, lower. Uh, it actually takes more amount of the opioid to be affected by the dog. So uh, we don't see as many concerns, uh, that's concerns is the wrong word, many cases uh, as we do on the human side. Um, and just a note on that, because we love accuracy <laughs> information. Um, yeah. Some of the times Ab- you absolutely. see in the news, and we track all these stories down, you'll see Narcan saves dog. And uh, actually, I, I saw it a, a month or two ago, and I really appreciated the veterinarian quote at the bottom. And it was at the bottom, but they the the journalist still included it, thankfully. And you say, you know, we applaud the handlers for carrying Narcan. We applaud the handlers for using it. We applaud the handlers for being in the, vet- mm-hmm. the veterinary hospital and responding so quickly. And, uh, you know, the, the drug that they were exposed to was actually methamphetamine, and it really didn't have anything to do with the Narcan. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. uh, but if you looked at the yeah. title, you know, Narcan used on, you know, deployed to save dogs. Um, so just, you know, yeah. with all news, you know, just, just make sure you're really looking at it with a, a good set of eyes. Um, having said that, our goal is to make sure that they have equal care as they're mm-hmm. humans and it works on dogs. And we think handlers should have it for themselves as well. So Karen Narcan, because it's fairly low cost. Uh, it's very low risk. Yep. Um, and it's good for you and your dog. Um, yes. 
I have it actually attached to my canine first aid kit. And the one I have is intranasal. And there, so when I got, Mm -hmm. we got the class for that, um, explain the unique part about intranasal for the dog, because what's the dog bound to do the minute you shoot the Narcan up its nose, it's going to do, it's going to react to that. So, yeah. So, so we actually love intranasal. Um, so, um, yeah. and, and first off, so the first question people usually have is, is it going to affect my dog's scenting ability? And um, thanks to the research with Dr. Otto, she's confirmed that, no, it doesn't appear to have any effect. And we know of dogs that have had Narcan and gone to work the next day um, and, and run the standardized testing yeah. to make sure that they were actually effective the next day, just to go to work the next day. Um, sure. so, so, so we're good on that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, now, yep. sometimes, uh, so it's also important to remember, uh, that Narcan works on opioids. So for the folks who are not narcotics dogs handlers or, or and more familiar with, not familiar with their drugs, the, the memory yeah. aid we use is opioids slow you down. So this isn't going to work on speed. This yep. isn't going to work on anything that jacks your dog up for the most part, possibly a little dysphoria. Uh, but generally what we're going to see is a dog that's slowing down. And in fact, the biggest concern with an yep. opioid is that they slow down, specifically that they, they get so lethargic that they actually stop breathing. So this is actually a respiratory yep. emergency. And what the Narcan is going to mm. do is it's going to get them breathing again. That's our, yes, it's going to get them conscious again, but the medical uh, concern, the emergency is that we're actually going to get them breathing. But they are going to be so um uh, depleted, so uh, slowed down that you could squirt anything up their nose, and at that point, it's not going to actually bother them. So we've seen some training situations yeah. where we love hands-on training, but we have to make sure it's accurate. We've seen some folks where we and we do have the trainers. We'll use the trainers and mannequins. We don't use the trainer in our our live dog training because. Because, yeah, dogs hate, conscious dogs hate stuff going up their nose. (laughs) And so, you know, they're going to fight. You know, you see a dog get a bordel in their nose, and they're like, hell no. (laughs) But if they're fighting you, your dog doesn't need Narcan. No. Well, like what you brought up in in right there exactly is sometimes – um, the, so obviously the thing that we're talking about, the main reason why Narcan gets used today, the number one cause is fentanyl and the fentanyl part for the dog handlers or the perceived ingestion mm-hmm. of fentanyl has had handlers immediately. Now I've had personal friends whose dogs have obviously actually, you know, came in contact with fentanyl mm-hmm. and did everything you're talking about. And, um, but I've had other cases where, it was oh, not sure, gotcha. so they yeah. went ahead and gave the Narcan. Yep. And the so there's two things I was going to cover. One was when even if the dog hasn't slowed down all the way, when you inject something up its nose, it might breathe mm-hmm. it out or, or sneeze it out or react and try to push it. It still goes in. That's the yeah. important part. They're still taking it a significant portion and- of it in. And then the, right. other, I, I go ahead. Go ahead. the other thing is uh, some handlers will ask, well, if he's not breathing, how does it work? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. no worries. Yeah. It's not inhaled. Yeah. It's absorbed. <laughs> so yeah. So once it's exactly. once it's on that tissue, it's it's getting absorbed. So it's it's good. To, it's we love um yep. uh, the internasal because it's just. I mean, I love Narcan in any form, or naloxone or generic, whatever it is. It all works. It's all great. Sure. Um, but I particularly like intranasal just because it's it's easier administratively, like in terms of getting it approved uh, for most handler teams, because there's no sharp points. Um, and people are just more confident with it in general. Um, 
Now, when you, you said Absolutely. you carry the intranasal, do you nope. carry uh, the Narcan brand or do you have um, the little cone, the MAD device? Yeah. No, it's the actual Narcan brand. It, it was it was provided to us uh, through a source. What They had a uh, class awesome. that came out to one of the casinos. And they made sure everybody got that. And, and like I said, the cool thing, you know, one of the other things that we learned um, is you can't exactly. overdose yeah. on the Narcan either. You know, if, yeah, so you can, you can give it mm-hmm. and give it again and so forth. Um, and, you know, with the fentanyl part being mm-hmm. the new threat for drug dog handlers they hadn't faced five years ago uh, that they're facing now is, you know, just being, a, like you said, mm-hmm. start with preventative you know, using the situation that you're in to kind of, kind of give you the intel you need to be aware that maybe the probability that the Narcan, or sorry, not Narcan, but the fentanyl exists is higher versus another one. So if you're doing search warrants and you're, you know, you're, you're hitting somebody who's selling heroin and so forth, well, then we all know now the probability of fentanyl mm-hmm. being there is extremely high. Um, as you know, it's, it's unfortunately now in all kinds of narcotics, but it's most likely or most commonly, I should say in certain types of narcotics like heroin, they're seeing it in things like, uh, I mean, I've, you know, the guys mm-hmm. out there on the road can address this better than I can. Cause I've been off the road for a while. So I'm just kind of regurgitating sure. information that gets passed yeah. to me, but in anything, I mean, from, from marijuana to uh, cocaine to, you know, it's, it's, kind of like the bomber world. It's up to the imagination of the person mm-hmm. and what they want to do. Um, but in the cases, you know, obviously the bigger one that it's most commonly paired with is the heroin. So opioid, opioid. Um, so in any case, the, the street handler doing street type level narcotics has to be more careful than let's just say the customs handler or the postal inspector handler, because at that stage, the, the, packaging is for transport so barriers you know the dog coming in contact it yeah and that aspect is Mm -hmm. you know at least different you know nothing is a guarantee nothing is you know always 100 percent safe but a street level user that the patrolman who did a traffic stop has a higher probability of being exposed to it just because it's more out in the open at that stage as opposed to during transport. And I also so, tell my, like, sometimes, you know, uh, explosive handlers, like, well, we don't need that training because we're explosive handlers. I'm like, so are you sure that all your bad guys only have one job? <laughs> one client? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. And drugs pay for a lot of things exactly. that are terrorism so, related. So um, we'd like everyone to be aware. It, it and the, Absolutely. No. So, on that note, let's go into like, like I said, I keep my Narcan with my first aid kit. So, what's what are some good, like, important need to have for anybody? And I want to kind of throw this also to include those yeah. that do the sport detection. So, so not only from the professional who is doing explosive mm-hmm. narcotic or firearms detection. To, but to also what's good for anybody doing detection, what kind of important things are, are needed uh, in a first aid First kit? is your cell phone. <laughs> so, um, that, and, and some numbers <laughs> pre-programmed into it. Um, so we want you to know Perfect. who you're calling um, at any time and at any place. So where, whatever is normal for you and yep. your dog. So, um, and whether that's, you know, for um, the sports detection, you know, there's a lot of traveling involved with that. So 
Yeah, so we're we're calling oh, yeah. ahead and we're saying, hey, and I don't even just check the website. I want to actually talk to somebody on the phone and I want to know, you know, I want to know what my full coverage is. So if something goes wrong at two in the morning on uh, day three of the event versus, you know, the day of the event versus on my way to the event or home, mm-hmm. I want to know. Um, where am I going? Because I, back in the day, uh, I was that gal punching, you know, a dog in my lap or half on my lap, half in the, the passenger seats, um, you know, punching things into the GPS, trying to find somebody at 11 p.m. And it was definitely a learning moment that's like, that's never going oh, to yeah. happen again. Uh, and Doc did fine, uh, but I certainly yep. had my learning because it was it was a place I was teaching a class um, and I, I didn't have the information. Um, so you want to know where you're going. And that's the first and the, the eyes to see what's going on and then more help in terms of stuff yep. um, we always start with the leading causes of preventable death and that's true whether I am a military dog or whether I go for hikes because my first goal is to keep my dog alive so I want to I want to be aware uh, you know I, I do actually want to keep those things now heat is the leading cause of preventable death so sometimes a water bowl, um, you know, in my backpack um, can be mm-hmm. a key first aid item um, and we can use that preventatively and the water to go with it. Um, you know, however, my dog is willing to drink water, things like that. I'll sometimes take some flavoring to make sure that they're drinking the water. We, we started this uh, um, talk in kind of full circle about asking them if they're thirsty. Well, now they've said, yes, I have to get them to drink. So flavoring safe, no xylitol, no onions, no grapes, things like that. Um, so flavoring. Now in terms of, uh, so that's mm-hmm. one thing. I also want to have something for massive bleeding. So I want to have some kind of pressure dressing and it can be a little one in there. It can be, uh, if it's, um, I like to carry a hemostatic agent and I encourage anyone who does um, really all of your audience, I would encourage to have a hemostatic uh, pressure dress. Uh, um, wound packing um, for themselves uh, that is uh-huh. part of the stop the bleed campaign whether you're law enforcement or or you know a teacher you know just generic um, it, it's something that yep. is near and dear to our heart that people know how to stop a bleed on a human and a dog um, so we're big proponents of that and Absolutely. hemostatic agents are valuable for both of those now I guess the discussion on gauze, can I just use a gauze roll instead of, you know, because hemostatic agents cost, you know, 20, 30 bucks. <laughs> now, here's the thing. If you're listening to yeah. <laughs> this podcast, you've invested more than 20 to 30 dollars in your dog before. <laughs> um, sure. And here's the thing. Exactly. I know that we work with many special operations teams who also know that, yes, you can stop most bleeding with rolled gauze. And they are trained to do that. They do that all day, every day. The people who are trained to do that also know that they don't want to do that. And they carry the $20 and $30 <laughs> products. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It is. It's well worth it. I mean, because like you said, you can pack with gauze, yeah. but you're going to be packing for a long time. And you'll yeah, probably and run out of the gauze that you have. it's a perishable skill. So, so even the people who do it for a living all day, every day, and that's their, you know, you know the PJs of the world. Um, those mm-hmm. people who do it all day, every day um, are still... Um, not relying on that skill. Well, on a handler who I might, if I'm lucky, do a refresher training every year with them. Uh, so yeah, so hemostatic gauze, pay the 20, 30 bucks, hope you never use it. Um, so I would carry that with me and I do carry that with me at all times. And it's super small. 
Now we don't use tourniquets mm-hmm. on dogs, not because we're not a huge tourniquet believer. I carry one for me at all times, but the memory aid is cats don't work on dogs. <laughs> if they did, we would be happy. Um, so just a pressure yep. dressing um, or something simple to go over that to keep that hemostatic agent in. Uh, we like the Elias. Yeah, the only tourniquet I've ever seen that works well with a dog is the leg tourniquet yeah. that most veterinarians have, the little rubber yeah. band and that in, you just pull real tight at each end. And yeah, then, in a clinic. But that, that's yeah. for a limb. In a clinic environment, front, for front sure. leg only. Um, yeah. In a field environment, we're not comfortable with that uh, because as soon as you transport the patient, um, that movement is likely to, yeah, yep. so that's not going to stay oh, in place. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, and I'm the first to tell the audience, you know, one of the major things they put us through with the uh, special operations training from my previous career was, you know, you're, you're doing your initial first aid care at that location, but then you have to move and you have to make sure that the dressing and the way you have things wrapped can withstand that movement. And nine times out of 10, it doesn't, if you, if, if, you know, you think you got it right and all these other things are going on. You pick that dog up and move it and all of a sudden everything kind of goes apart because you're dealing, you're dealing with fur, you're dealing with limbs and how they move on a dog and, and they, they drilled it into our head just like I'm sure you do with your students is how to wrap certain things a certain way. Like the rear legs are a difficult one. Um, and a abdomen area is difficult because then you got it's how you get around the legs to use that as pressure and like argon. Yeah, it, it can be pretty yeah. extensive. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's for sure. But so so I'll let you continue on. So you have the you have the way yeah. to give them water. You have Massive the hemostatic uh, agent for and the there is bandage. A new yep, exactly, that's and nice then go on. Extat, so it's the plunger type. So it's uh, helps with those really hard to place, like the rear leg and the uh, armpits and like. Uh, areas as well. So that's one to add in there as a consideration. So we've got our massive bleeding help. We've got water dealt with. Um, I like to carry, um, also you mentioned moving, um, depending on, yep. on how far away, uh, I get from my vehicle, really. Um, I would also consider a stretcher. Uh-huh. I actually yeah. have a litter that's in a part of my first aid kit. So it's, yep. it's small. It's just a bag yep. basically. And what I love about that is it's got mm-hmm. handles everywhere you can get the dog into it pretty easily and then multiple people, you uh-huh. or multiple people can carry it at once and get you from, because just like you said, the major issue I deal with with training multiple dogs at once is most times the areas that we have to go to to get enough space is far yeah. away from where we park. So my little first aid kit that I carry with me, you know, I have a little mm-hmm. plastic container. That container contains the human first aid kit, which is high, which is very high visible mm-hmm. and marked human. And then the dog one is also marked very appropriately mm-hmm. canine. And it has those things in it. So I have the, the collapsible mm-hmm. water bowl in it. I have the, 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 um, uh, the, the litter mm-hmm. in there because the last thing I wanted to do was, oh, crap, I, at least I have a way to treat my dog. But then yeah. how do I get <laughs> exactly. this dog all the way from where the point of injury is out to a vehicle. And what if I'm with minimal people or what if I'm just by myself? So, yeah, yeah, the the litter or, or, uh, or like you said, the uh, stretcher. Now, what would you recommend, you know, what would you prefer being more portable? I went with portability because that's why I picked the litter, but I hadn't really seen any, 
Uh, I know there's some collapsible yeah. kind, but they were still I, kind of I, big. The one I have right now is the direct action canine one. You can throw some links in. Um, there's another one, and I forget the okay. name of, but uh, a lot of our uh, instructors have been using it, and they said they really liked it too. So there's a couple out there that that people really like. Okay. And, and I'd add on for the folks who are going, well, that doesn't really apply to me. You know, most of my detection work, you know, we're not out in the field. It's mostly in buildings. And my car is pretty close. Uh, my first, uh, w- one of my first training uh-huh. events actually was in Vegas, but gosh, 12, 13 years ago. And we were on like, I forget what floor <laughs> it was, uh, but it was in the Flamingo, like one of the top floors, not the top floor, but, but close to the oh, Flamingo. Okay. And I had a, a fairly young dog and she was sick. And in this case, she wasn't, you know, it wasn't immediate trauma, but, uh, an exercise for everyone to do the next time they think they don't need a litter is to try carrying your 75 pound dog to the car from the top of a hotel (laughs) with all of those heavy doors that are designed to close before you. (laughs) um, It Uh is not trivial. (laughs) So um, yeah, this isn't just our wilderness folks. This is anyone who's really, I mean, especially in Vegas where your car can be incredibly far away. Oh yeah, no. Like you said, well, so one of the areas that we go to is the monorail, and there's multiple floors to get to the area that we may train in, mm-hmm. and that was one of the first times I was like, okay, if for some reason a dog goes down, I have to go down multiple floors and escalators to get mm-hmm. the dog down to a vehicle, mm-hmm. and yeah, I might have a couple people, but in those moments of emergency you're kind of designating people tasks. So Mm -hmm. like you said, someone's job is to go ahead and contact the vet clinic, let them know we're on the way. Um, If you know, there, we don't know, maybe it's a situation where person and dog go down. So you need to have people dealing with the person. You have Mm -hmm. EMTs on the way. You've got the dog being triaged and you got to get that dog to a clinic because they don't necessarily bring ambulances for dogs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was, as I was going through all those things in my head, how to be best prepared. And if I was the one tasked with getting the dog from the platform we're at out to the vehicle, you know, like I said, the, the one thing that was nice about the litter I picked was it had the handles for, you know, the front end, the rear end to carry from, or it had a bigger handle. If I had to, I could put it over my shoulder and carry the dog almost like a bag. Yep, and, absolutely. and get it out and down Perfect. to where I had to go to. So that was a big factor for me why I, you know, why I wanted to be prepared because just like you said, that can be a long haul with a dog whose average weight is anywhere between 70 to in my dog's case 93 pounds. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's that, that that you you will get fatigued very yep. fast carrying a weight. It's like I always tell somebody just hold, just pick your dog up, and this is your dog in you know not in dead weight, mm-hmm. and hold it out, hold it out in a just a carry in front of you, and let's see if you can hold it for more than two minutes. Yeah, absolutely. If you get to thirty seconds, you'll start struggling, and forty-five yeah. seconds. Of course, it all depends on your level of fitness, yeah. but it becomes very and heavy practice. very fast. Yeah. yeah, and practice with your dog. Uh, absolutely. Like, so that it's also because if you have to carry them, it's probably a stressful time with the dog too. So you want them conditioned to whatever carry you're going to use, whether it's a, a litter or your shoulders mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we got the mass hemorrhage. We got the water. We got, uh, what else? What are some other good ones? I was thinking you like thermometer. thermometer. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Definitely. <need a> thermometer. <laughs> we want you to label that thermometer to say stop at 103.5. 
Perfect. Because uh, we want you to feel confident that you can cool that dog as fast as possible, but then we really do want you to stop at 103.5. And we actually want you to have two, uh, like you said, two is one, one is none. So we want you to actually have at least two thermometers. Perfect. Uh, because that's, I just can't improvise anything else to replace that thermometer. Yeah, um, no. And a muzzle, definitely a muzzle. Um, uh-huh. So, uh, and preferably if your dog um, is also cross-trained to apprehension, we would prefer that to be a muzzle that's not, uh, and, and I know that many teams teach muzzle neutrality, that there's no yeah. association. But if you haven't taught that, um, it's, it's still a good thing to have a separate one. And physically, physically the, a medical muzzle is different than an apprehension muzzle. So yeah. we're looking for one that allows the mouth to be open. It allows mm-hmm. you to see that mucous membranes, that color we talked about earlier. We mm-hmm. want the dog's tongue to be open to allow for panting so that we can allow that wet plus wind equals evaporation for yep. cooling. Um, we want the dog to drink, uh, really to have uh, most of their normal behaviors. And most apprehension muzzles don't allow you to do that. No. And and I do, I carry, I have a uh, plastic more open one. Yeah. The, ja- the old Jeffco muzzle. Okay. And then, uh, but it has a lot more whole, it's, 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 like I said, it's a copy of the Jeffco style. But anyway, it allows good breathing. Uh, I can see. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have the small little nylon one that most yeah. vets ha- have because at least that way it only covers a portion of that. Of, of the muzzle because mm-hmm. I can still get in, check the gums because it only covers like the front half of it a little bit. Yep. The only thing that it does prevent a little bit, what you're talking about is the tongue aspect. Yep. Um, and the jaw open. Yeah. So that's the only downside to that one. But the great side of it is it's easy to carry. Yeah. And in that pinch, you you have that there. Exactly. Where a wire muzzle is also a good one because a wire muzzle yeah. does give you a lot of space. A lot of, they can even drink with it on all that kind of good stuff. And we stage it because in field medicine, we're always going from what we have to what we want and upgrading along the way. So yep. I might be using my leash to start and then I might upgrade yep. to, hey, buddy, in my bag, get that nice nylon muzzle. And then as soon as I get to the truck, let's get that wire muzzle on. And really what I want is chemical courage from the vet. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Upgrade oh, as yeah. we go. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. No, that that's that. I try to think of some things else, some of the other things I have, you know, like tweezers. I have a few yeah. small things, just, you know, little lots things, of here little things that are specific yeah. to the, the dog's job environment. Certainly boo-boo bandaging, vet wrap gauze, you know, things like yeah. that. Uh, we don't put hydrogen. Pro- so a couple things not to put in your kit. That's just Perfect. as important. I was just um, gonna, I'm glad you said use, that. We don't use hydrogen peroxide for wounds. We will use it to yep. reduce vomiting. Um, but and the hydrogen peroxide it, reason, yeah, is because it kills the good bacteria and the bad bacteria. Yeah. So we're just going to use copious amounts of water. So the water you, yeah. water is so important. We just have water for everything. Um, yeah. I'm also um, not going to have any snake bite kit. Those are so old and so counterproductive. Um, the best thing you can do for a snake bite is get to antivenin. Um, so the snake bite kits, the little yellow ones, there's two versions that they're still in some dog kits that makes us pretty frustrated. Um, just throw those out. They're not useful for humans. They're not useful for dogs. Um, uh, other things you should not have in your, oh, also those come with scalpels, which is not generally good for most handlers to have something no. not with related to snake bites. We don't use that anyway. Now what about Benadryl for the snake bites? Cause I've heard 
getting Benadryl on board is a good thing to at least start gives you buys you a little bit of time potentially yeah so there's always uh, a debate about Benadryl and Benadryl is one of okay. those things that come in and out and actually I, I have a question to our advisory team and I, I should mention that I, I should have said at the beginning I am not a vet so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I am the gal in the middle of our advisory team but I'm uh-huh. not the vets on uh, we have many vets on our advisory team sure uh, so um, and handlers and uh, tactical medics and you know lots of different folks so i actually have that out to our um our team right now if they want to update it because that is something uh some of the some of the discussion points around it is that it might act as a calming thing so even if it's not indicated okay um, that it could have point. a calming factor uh, and then there was a while where it was not recommended and it's coming back in fashion to be recommended again so it's okay. one of those things that are in flux um but in general benadryl is one of those things that people do have in their kits both for also just for uh uh, bee stings and things like yeah. that because dogs can have their their reactions are, are a little bit different than humans it's not usually a throat closing you'll you'll see a yeah. gi is their stress organ um so they're more likely to um you know have blowout diarrhea or things like that um but it doesn't hurt uh, so it can certainly help still to rub that benadryl on their gums um it's the fast mm-hmm. absorption so benadryl is in general something that's good to have in your kit now when i do mention that you can use oh you can also use uh, if you your, your dog may also be prescribed epipen in that case too usually yep. junior yep. um Things though you don't want to just put into your kit, and really you don't want to put anything without talking to your vet, but especially um, we're really uh, concerned with aspirin uh, because it can, uh, certainly not, uh, no ibuprofen, um, aspirin, mm-hmm. um, certainly not indicated in trauma because uh, it can affect uh, bleeding concerns, uh, but oh, also yeah. with our dogs, again, their stomach, we were just talking about, um, uh, can have... Um, uh, can have significant problems with their stomach as well. So one of the things we really do want everyone to have is uh, and uh, to talk to their veterinarian and explain to them that, you know, I, I have a working dog or I travel with my dog. Um, it might be, you know, 45 minutes, two hours before I can get to a vet. Um, and to have um, a prescription for acute pain management. Now, this isn't, oh, my dog, you know, is training and is a little bit sore. Um, You know, that's a different conversation you can have with your vet. From a pre-hospital emergency, I want you to have something like, my dog broke his leg. (laughs) What can I (laughs) give him? Uh, Because it might be an hour or two. Uh, And we know that early pain management is safer for you and the dog and actually has good outcomes for healing for the dog. So definitely we encourage people to have a uh, veterinary prescribed acute don't ever plan to use it but have it just in case uh pain med yep no yeah, i agree definitely so um definitely it, it or a lot of conversations we really want you to be talking uh to your vet to really fine-tune what you're carrying absolutely so this gives a that's a this is a good segue to kind of tell people yeah how do they find you how do they contact you i know you do numerous courses and classes and you guys have some more stuff uh coming down the pike for online and things like that yeah and i personally myself want to invite you to possibly do a webinar with me uh in the near future if that's something you'd be interested in doing yeah so so how do people find you how do they contact you and how do they get schedules of all the stuff you do yeah so we are at uh www.caninemedic.com that's letter k number nine m-e-d-i-c.com uh we're also on uh facebook a little bit on instagram (laughs) um (laughs) my uh email for everybody the the shortest one is just my initials jb 
um, at mm -hmm. canimedic.com. Um, now for classes, uh, we do have them up on the website. Um, and you'll see there's, there's always one or two classes for Vegas because we're usually there the last week in March and the last week in September at the very minimum. Um, most yeah. of our classes though, 99 or 90 something percent of our classes are actually closed registration. Um, sure. so you won't actually see, uh, most Those of our classes are, on the website. Yeah. So we are very yeah. busy traveling. Last August I was home literally three days. Uh, but, mm. um, uh, so we encourage people to um, host a class, um, and sometimes you will see those hosted classes available on the web as well. So uh, we love when we can open it up to, to more students as possible. Um, absolutely, and one of our goals is to do that yeah, with you absolutely, too. Yeah, we'd love to make more. Uh, most of our classes right now tend to be a lot of just agency closed classes, but we'd love to open that up so that more people can come um, and uh, you know get the training. We're also launching a Train the Trainer Academy. Um, so that people can also have, um, sometimes we'll come in and do the initial class, but then they can have ongoing uh, train-to-trainer um, uh, refresher classes and mini classes and four-hour classes, or possibly in, in some cases we've actually just launched uh, an agency that's uh, been our, our prototype now for, they're going to be doing all of their in-house training and we just keep those trainers trained um, through a, a year-long um, ongoing program as well. Because our goal is to make a difference and uh, at, you know, reaching as many people with uh, very specific learning outcomes and, and homework and follow-up um, is how we do that. Um, and now, uh, yes, we've moved into online. So we actually have a very cool canine TEMS, uh, so Tactical Emergency uh -huh. Medical Simulator online software. It's basically a um, first-person video game, uh, but it's mentor-led, so the dog gets shot and you have to treat him and go through the um, March is the acronym that we use for that. Yep. So we're really excited that's available. You can see that on our website as well. And then we'll be doing um, more online training. So we'd love to partner with you on a webinar as well. Absolutely. No, that would be awesome. And, and we've had, uh, I just kind of started doing webinars recently and it's, it's a great platform for people to at a very inexpensive way to gain some information uh, and, and get to see instructors or hear from instructors that, just they don't get a chance to, and um, and plus, you know, for people like you that have a very important message to share, it allows us that part of the visual aspect yeah. that you know we're, we weren't able to do with the podcast, <laughs> but it's, yeah. It, yeah, it's very podcast like, but with the visual aspect as well, and then of course people can download and yeah. watch it at their own convenience. So yeah, I'll, and of course as we get off here, I'll I'll we'll plan that in the near future, sure. but. I will put all of this information that you listed in the show notes so that way people can easily access this. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for your time because I, I do know you personally and how busy you are. So taking uh, an hour and 20 minutes of your time to to share some information. And this is just the beginning aspect, you know, this is, you know, we're, we just kind of covered the surface of a lot of things. And uh, I'm already thinking of just besides webinar, just doing another podcast, uh, maybe in the future on specific uh, things, because we can spend hours of time uh, talking about all different kinds of, uh, of medical things that, that are important to know for, for dog handlers, regardless of what the, the dog's trained to do. So thank you so much for doing this. Um, again, we will obviously be in touch. And if anybody has any questions, as usual, you know how to email me, Ford, F-O-R-D, at SilverStateK9.com.
that concludes this episode of Canine's Talking Sense. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to Joanne, giving you tons of great information, some very critical information that can potentially save the life of your canine. Also, as she said, don't forget to send us those pictures of your thermometers with 103 either labeled on there or written on there. And those of you that send us those pictures will be in the running to win some canine medic swag. And I will even throw in some Silver State canine uh, products as well, either shirts, hats, etc. So don't forget, email those to Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, at Ford, F-O-R-D-K, number nine, dot com. Cameron at FordK9.com. Joanne and I will go over all the uh, entries and we'll find a way to randomly select who the winners are and there will be more than one winner. So please, after listening to this episode, take a picture of your thermometer from your first aid kit showing that 103 temperature reading so that way uh, we see that you guys are already taking steps to be preventative and be ready for your dog if and when uh, a situation may arise. Now, on to what I was going to do. I thought about this for a little bit. I was deciding whether I wanted to do a year in review. And first, I just want to thank you guys. This is the last episode I'm doing of 2019. There's already lots of interviews scheduled for 2020. So don't worry, there's going to be uh, lots of new voices to hear, people that you guys will know from the industry, as well as I will be bringing back some of the top uh, guests I've had on Canines Talking Sense. Uh, thanks to your guys' feedback and the information you guys have heard, you've definitely wanted me to bring these people back and talk to them further and go over more information. In addition to that, I am doing webinars every month, and I'm going to use the webinars as kind of like the next level of what this podcast is about. Uh, I'm going to have guests on the webinar who have been on Canines Talking Sense, but in this format, you will be able to watch videos, sit down and watch the PowerPoints, listen to the instructor speak about the the various things in the slides of the PowerPoint. A virtual classroom, as you will, is what we will be setting up. So that way you have the ability to watch it live. You will also have the ability to download. If you sign up prior to the episode airing, you will get a link emailed to you where that way you can hop on and, again, view that uh, webinar at your convenience. The webinar is a timed kind of thing. Basically, what I mean by that is you sign up prior to the event happening. You can either watch it, listen to it live, and or download from the link the episode or the webinar and be able to watch and listen to it then. It will not be able to be kept on your feed or your computer or what have you. Um, It'll be a one-time use. Um, But with that said, we will probably rerun some webinars based on popularity. So, um, But I highly, highly encourage you guys when I start posting those webinars to sign up. Um, it's going to be dirt cheap. I'm talking like maybe 20 bucks, 25 bucks per person 
to be able to have that uh, webinar uh, to watch and listen to. So that is happening. The first one will be this month. Uh, the next one will be in January. My goal is to try to do one a month as well as two episodes a month of Canines Talking Sense. So we'll have the Canines Talking Sense webinars and the Canine Talking Sense podcast. Both will kind of feed off of each other. And this kind of came from you guys helping me out. The donations that some of you have made to me uh, to help this podcast grow has given me the equipment and the ability to take this to that next level with webinars. So um, the guests that I have on here, uh, the proceeds that I'm doing is going to be shared with them uh, for their time. And I know all of you guys really respect and understand that um, when I have these guests on here, uh, I'm taking away from either their family time or work time or what have you. But every person who will be on these webinars is really excited to be able to do this for you guys, to be able to share this information in such a uh, vast way. You know, many times people can't travel to a seminar. Um, so this gives that ability to kind of be sitting in a classroom, but you're in the convenience of your house or wherever you're at. So uh, stay tuned for those. I talked about it earlier, uh, silverstatecanine.com. We have our new interactive calendar, our new classes, our seminars, our mobile classroom, the seminar and workshops where I'm coming out to these various uh, places. Right now, it's internationally. I've got various places to go to abroad as well as across the United States. Um, that said, if you are interested in having me come out to your area, just email me, that same email, Cameron at FordK9.com, and uh, we will see what we can set up. 2020, my goals uh, is to keep putting out good content for you guys. Like I said, I've been really appreciative of the support and feedback from everybody, and it's really kind of changed uh, a lot within the industry. There's some people that um, have reached out to me and told me how uh, thanks to the information or thanks to one of the guests that was on the, the podcast really helped them evolve or make important modifications to their canine program or their canine training. And that means the world to me. And, and you know, a year ago, literally a year ago at this point, there were some question marks as to what I was going to do, where I was going to do it. And to be able to be in the seat I am at now uh, at Silver State, to be in Las Vegas, which is a great place uh, for for canine in general. There's a lot of dogs out here, and it's only growing. And still being out here in the West Coast, but also being easily able to travel or have people come into Las Vegas is something that, like I said, you asked me a year ago, I wouldn't have been able to give you this answer let alone uh, where we are at with this podcast now. So thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. 2019 has been a year of change, a year of growth, and 2020 is going to be fantastic. And I look forward to the opportunity to be able to meet many of you in person, whether it be at the, I'm heading my first seminar is going to be at the CNCA conference in Palm Springs. Um, another great conference. Uh, those of you on the West Coast, uh, I mean, but really abroad, Pacific Northwest Canine Association, 
always has their seminars every year in the spring. Uh, and I'll be posting on my social media and I will put it in the links of show notes of the future podcast. If you are a canine handler, um, detection dog handler, specifically if you're really up there in Washington State, Oregon, Idaho, those areas up there, Canada, get to the Pacific Northwest Canine Conference. It is a fantastic conference. It's not just sitting in classroom. It is an active working seminar. You do a day of classroom, and then the next few days you are doing nothing but going to various off-site locations running dogs, getting to be with these instructors that are out there. And this past year in 2019, the guys from NYPD Transit Bureau Canine came out. And let me tell you what those guys did for their scenarios was amazing and very eye-opening for all those that attended because those guys have some real-world, hands-on, no-kidding type experiences that they've been through. And they gave those lessons they've learned and set up scenarios and put a lot of these bomb dog handlers through that. And like I said, every single bomb dog handler that went through their scenarios came back very uh, with eyes wide open. I know this year, uh, one of the guest speakers is going to be Dr. Nathan Hall, which many of you guys have heard from my podcast uh, before. Nathan's going to be there speaking about odor mixtures and the science and chemistry of odor. Uh, so that's going to be a great person speaking at that event. I'll be there as well. I'll probably be speaking and running some scenarios. So if you guys are in that area, I look forward to seeing you. If you're in Palm Springs for CNCA in January, I can't wait to see you guys there as well. So with all that said, that kind of covers the first few months of uh, 2020. But again, please go visit SilverStateK9.com. Follow me on social media. It's Cameron Ford K9 on Instagram. It's just Cameron Ford on Facebook or CPF2137. Um, follow me there. I always put out content probably every couple days. I share research articles, videos of training, um, upcoming events, things like that. Again, everybody, all the listeners out there, I thank you guys so much. And until 2020, when we have our next episode, I'll talk to you guys then. <music>